You're listening to The Driven, the podcast that gives you the news and the views, the ins and the outs on electric vehicles. The Driven is presented by Giles Parkinson, the editor of Renew Economy and The Driven websites, and is brought to you by ZeroMo, a non-profit initiative helping transition to battery-powered lawn and gardening equipment and electric vehicles using 100% renewable energy. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of The Driven Podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the founder and editor of The Driven, our electric vehicle-focused website. And um, I'm also the founder and editor of Renew Economy, the uh, big sister to The Driven website. Well, last week we had James Kennedy from Tritium, one of Australia's... um, groundbreaking companies in the uh, in the in the new area of electric vehicles and their speciality was electric fast chargers today we're delighted to have another um, pathfinder if you like in the uh, transition to electric vehicles i'd like to welcome michelle nazari she is the head of fonzarelli electric motors michelle thanks for joining the driven podcast thank you for having me Tell me, you, your company um, basically does what? It um, constructs basically electric mopeds, is that right? Yeah, that we started out with electric mopeds and scooters, which is the, um, the faster big brother to the moped. And, um, and we started out about uh, eight years ago and uh, we build design um and and sell the electric scooters fantastic what 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 got you into let's go right back to the beginning what got you into this market um had you been building um motorcycles before or petrol um petrol ones or did you just come straight into electric um electric vehicles yeah so i had always had a a strong interest and passion for two-wheel machines um i'd ridden motorcycles previously and um, what actually started me was I, I, I began working for um, my father's company, which manufactures buses. And um, through that uh, process, uh, when, I, when I joined the company, I agreed to join for a 12-month period because they were starting to build electric vehicles. And, um, and I worked firstly in developing those relationships with uh, local government in Australia to get the first hybrid and the, then electric um, buses and coaches on the road, uh, and then um, and and from there I, I started understanding the technology. I didn't have an engineering background, and uh, decided that it seemed all pretty simple, and I wouldn't <laughs> mind having a crack at building one myself. So you decided to apply the technology to your greatest love, which was certainly not buses, but um, but two wheeled vehicles. That's correct. Yes. Fantastic. So, tell me about. So, you came out with your first model eight years ago. Is that right? Yeah. So, um, I started the company. I sort of uh, was dreaming about it. I took a motorcycle trip. I, I bought a bike in California, and um, sent it down to Colombia. And I spent about six weeks uh, riding around Colombia and sort of thinking about next steps. I. Uh, been working at this point for my dad for about 18 months and was working in production and was finding it really fascinating um, and uh, basically um, yeah I incorporated the company when I got back and and just started tinkering that was around 2010 and um, and I brought the first um, products to market in 2012 so I guess at, in the days when Tesla wasn't a household name by any means um, 
yeah, and and brought the first the first generation to market, which was not a commercial success, but a very good uh, learning curve for me to start to dip my toe in, I guess. Right. So what happened after that then? And, and when you say it wasn't a commercial success, you just didn't get the money back in your investment or they just didn't capture uh, the imagination of the public or it, there was a yeah, few issues? It, I guess, yeah, I guess the product wasn't a, a, a combination of, of those things. Um, I guess the 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 product that I had, I'll give you an example, is the power pack, which is essentially the the batteries um, were designed to come out of uh, the bike so that you could charge in an apartment, which was, I've, I've moved to Sydney when I was 18 and I've always lived in apartments. So the idea was it needs to be something like an urban commuter that um, is accessible for people that live in and around the city. Um, the first generation had this this battery and when I'd pull it out, I used to live on Campbell Parade in Bondi and I'd pull it out and my neighbours would walk past and say, oh, what are you doing? Are you are you travelling to the airport? Because it sort of was this like huge, I don't know if you remember the old, um, the first mobile phone, yes. but it was sort of the, <laughs> the equivalent of that and it was on rollers and it had its own little, you know, handle that you'd pull up and yeah, God. it was quite impressive. Would have weighed a ton too, wouldn't it? Yeah, it did weigh it did weigh quite a bit back then. So it was about um, it was about twenty kilos Ouch. the first one. Yeah, and um, not very friendly up two flights of stairs. Um, uh, yeah, so it was it was a combination of that. The market wasn't really ready as well. So there was a few early adopters, um, and then also I was just such a small operation. It was really just myself for um, the first couple of years, electrocuting myself <laughs> and doing all sorts of things. So doing the whole production line too. <laughs> yeah, no, actually, at that stage it was all um, all offshore in Asia. So. Um, yeah, so um, basically what I did is I went back to the drawing board and took about two and a half years to develop the second generation of bike, which I launched in December 2014. And that one um, has, we've now developed off of that one. And um, that one took to the market really well. We did, uh, did pre-sales, I think, of about 50 or so bikes. And um, we've actually today got um, quite a number of those customers who have upgraded now to our um, latest models which is pretty exciting. Oh, fantastic. So what sort of sales you've got? I mean, I, I'm, still guess, I'm still guessing that in, in, in the general scheme of things, it's still quite niche. Yeah, it's, it's quite niche. Um, we've basically uh, doubled our sales up until, um, yeah, till the end of 2018, we've doubled our sales year on year since we sort of launched the second generation. Well, that's not bad. Yeah, it's not too bad at all. Um, and we've also started to uh, develop um, more high-performance bikes, so sort of to meet what the market's sort of demanding. Um, we've been developing bikes for our customers that they want. So, so yeah. this is this means going beyond the moped, is it? Yeah, absolutely. So I think one of the major things in Australia is that um, Australians love performance, and um, and I don't really shy away from that myself. I'm definitely an adrenaline junkie. So, <laughs> so the moped yeah. hasn't quite done it for you. <laughs> yeah, it didn't quite do it for me. So, and it's also been interesting because if you look at what's happening um, in other markets. So uh, back in 2012, there weren't really a lot of electric scooters around the world globally in the in Western markets. Anyway, um, there was the lead acid ones. So in some countries in Asia mm -hmm. but um, yeah basically the ones that have developed in in Europe have really focused on that moped market whereas in Australia because we kind of require more performance everywhere you're traveling at least 60 where a moped is limited at 50 kilometers an mm -hmm. hour um, 
so we've sort of driven more towards the the we first we started off with 60 then 70 then 80 now we've got a 100 kilometer an hour model um and obviously they've all, all got awesome torque and and, yeah. uh, and the great electric performance well, I, can, I can testify to that i had a, had a brief ride of one of them um just nearby next head and it was um look it was fantastic that torque that takeoff i mean it's just like driving sort of the equivalent from going from a petrol car to an electric car um i just found the same uh my family had a scooter um for a while and i rode it a few times before my son absconded with it um who basically took possession <laughs> of it so um yes. no it was fantastic it was um i was just fascinated by the fact that it actually went in reverse as well which i hadn't come across <laughs> yeah which becomes quite critical once you become accustomed to that well that's right yeah no i sort of <laughs> finally worked out what its use would be but um yeah no it's um it's fantastic so um just going back to and this might be a silly question what's the difference between a moped and a scooter so um with a in the petrol space, um, it's a 50cc and under is considered a moped and over 50cc is a motorcycle. So actually the bike you would have ridden in Lennox Head would be considered a motorcycle by Australian standards. Even though it looks like uh, what I would call a moped, but, you know, it kind of looks yeah, like a Vespa yeah. type thing, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it still goes into the category of motorcycle. So how we um, translate that into electric is that it goes by the speed limitations, which is... It's kind of cool actually for people that do want to ride on say in Queensland, WA, Northern Territory, and you don't need a, a, a motorcycle or scooter license, you can drive on a car ah. license, but it just it caps out at 50 Ks an hour. So you still get like the hill climbability um, and the awesome torque off the mm -hmm. mark, which you don't get with a, a traditional moped. Yeah, yeah. And the way you've designed it, I mean, I sort of mentioned Vespa before, it did have, I don't know whether it's, it's right to say it's got sort of Vespa lines, because I'm not really an expert, but it does have that lovely sort of Italian lines. And I, I really quite liked it. And um, and also with the name Fonzarelli, and you got a nice sort of typeface for it too. So were you inspired by yeah. the Italian uh, forerunners? Yeah, look, I, I'm I'm a, of Italian heritage, so the Fonzarelli was a little bit of a play on that, as well as the um, you know the badass Fonz from. Happy oh, really? Days. Happy days. <laughs> yeah, you know he was like a badass, and he was a bikey, so it was just a playful way of um, of talking about that. But it also is a bit of a not really a namesake, but I guess close to my surname. Um, and uh, and then aside from that, the reason with the design that we went in that direction was I. I wasn't, I'd seen um, more hobby designs where they kind of go quite more radical um, and it's not really um, as commercial, I guess. And I wanted to, we've, we've sort of done a bit of a nod to like that 60s uh, mod kind of look, mm -hmm. um, but there's also streamlined lines and everything. So it's, it's both modern um, without being that weird alien. <laughs> right. And so how does it rate between sort of conventional uh, investors and things like that in sort of price and, and, and running costs? Um, I get the impression that um, we know that in electric vehicles, the difference between petrol cars and electric cars is actually quite steep. Yes. But I didn't get the impression that it was so steep with um, with your range of vehicles. No, it's, um, it's not actually. So we've kind of looked at um, the the Vespa pricing and um, because we do steal or, you know, I don't know, take, compete with um, Vespa quite head to head. That's probably where we take most of our market share from with the mm -hmm. scooter looking bikes. Um, so basically we've got the um, X1 model, which is our, our latest model. 
this one's um, goes up against the GTS um, Vespa. Um, it has a similar performance. So that's like a 250 and 300 cc um bike um okay uh, and then and then the other models also sit on a similar pricing point so yeah it's uh, very competitive and and uh, yeah that's interesting isn't it because i'm uh, and i guess because they are scooters you probably don't get that much more of a dramatic saving in fuel costs because scooters are pretty economical anyway but then you don't have the disadvantage of a big upfront cost so it kind of sort of works out yeah. okay in the end i mean there's also another big advantage which is um the total cost of ownership for electric is much lower so um you do get burnt quite a lot with um petrol bikes once you start servicing and we offer a uh -huh. capped price service guide and it, it we include the consumables so during the it's 150 dollars a year um or if we we go to you it's a little bit more um and for 150 dollars a year we include the consumables like brake fluid changes during the warranty period we change brake pads although not required very often because we have regenerative braking so we we have a lot less wear and tear as well i guess so there's definitely a um a, a total cost of ownership is definitely lower with electric and so tell us about the size of the battery and how long that lasts and how long it takes to recharge. Yeah, sure. We've got um, we've got a few different models. So we still have the um, the one which was our flagship model, the FZ, and that has a it's just sub nine kilos, and that one's designed to take out and charge indoors. Um, this one will do fifty kilometers range, and you can pop. Um, dual under the saddle or just have single so you can have 50 or 100 kilometers range how you prefer then we have um this one's 1.65 kilowatt hours per pack um so i don't know if you're um how familiar you are with the tesla specs but obviously being so light you get a lot more range um, absolutely yes <laughs> yes so that's 1.6 kilowatt hour packs and that compares to say the 90 kilowatt hour packs in a very big tesla yeah exactly right and then we've got so that's our smallest one the next one up which is still removable but really designed more to charge in the garage or under the carport is um uh, 3.5 kilowatt hour pack that one's about 20 kilos um, and that one will do 100 kilometers range and then um, we're just finishing the development of the next one up which is 4.5 kilowatt hours and um, and that one will depending on how fast you travel it's going to do 100 to 150 say range okay and so how long does that take to charge presumably because it is quite low kilowatt hour sort of capacity um you're just going to use use your normal wall plug and just um take a couple of hours to charge it that way is that yeah, right that's correct yeah we've got two charging options we, they're both with 240 volt you know standard um, household outlet um, one of them is a faster charger um, and that one does a trickle at the start and the end and then it speeds up in the middle that one does to 80 percent in one hour and then um most of the power packs are designed to be charged overnight and that's kind of how we recommend it because no matter what anyone tells you it's always better to charge a pack slower so um right. yes and, and and hence the trickle at the start and the end which is actually the most important part of that yeah exactly slower right. charge. that's yeah. yeah that's correct and so um with the the other charger which is this the standard one that comes with the vehicles um that one does it overnight so you're looking at depending on the size of the pack six to eight hours um, mm -hmm. Yeah, look, some people do prefer the fast charger or they just enjoy having the highest spec of everything, which is totally fine. But for usage, it really makes sense um, that to just charge it when you're not using it, you plug it in and it's easy, you know. 
Mm, yes, and I guess obviously just for it's it's more like scooters generally just be used for you know lo local areas, you know, zipping about town, your yeah. village or your town or whatever. Yeah. Have you had any stories of people taking their electric scooter and going around Australia like we see with some electric vehicles? <laughs> Do you know what? We don't actually have anyone that's done that. Although I have, we've been to. I said I'm going to ride the X1 from Sydney to Melbourne, and then I was talking to the guys that we had an event at our um, space in Redfern with the Australian Electric vehicle association and um somebody said well why are you just going from sydney to melbourne you should go from sydney to perth and cross the nullarbor and i'm, I'm from perth so i was like oh that sounds bloody great but um nobody in my team would were, were that keen on being my support crew so I, i've sort of put that one to rest for the oh minute. yes <laughs> yeah look I, I i drove across nullarbor across the nullarbor from um, from canberra to well um uh, yeah well, I, I was Went to school in Canberra, then went to Perth, and of course drove across Nullarbor back in 1977, I think yeah. it was. <laughs> and there were some considerable distances between the um, between the stations and um, and anything in those days. So um, yeah. yeah, interesting challenge. Be a fantastic thing to do though, wouldn't it? Yeah, but, absolutely. Um, yes, when you've got some time and, and, and a bit of patience, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so what's what's the future hold then for Fonzarelli? Um, so we're working at the moment. We're we're in the final stages of building uh, an electric motorbike, which is um, super fast. It will be our most high performance model to date, more so even than our X1 model, which is pretty um, pretty talky. Um, it'll it's still be designed as a city bike. So um, it'll have a range, depending on which power pack you wanna go with. So it will be between 50 and 150 kilometers range. And, um, and in a motorcycle configuration, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Oh, terrific. And, and when can we expect that into, onto the market? Um, so it'll be in the coming months. We'll um, we'll have a um, we'll have start test rides in around two to three months. Oh, fantastic. Mm. So what? Yeah. What's the future hold for electric um, two electric two wheelers just in general? Um, I was kind of interested to note that um, the Austra Australia Post has just announced it's going to yeah. order one thousand of its little three wheelers, which is which is a bit funny. Yeah. Um, electric th three uh, um, free wheelers. I mean, in the days when I used to get lots of mail through the. Um, through the conventional means, you used to be able to hear the little um, posty bikes coming up the street, yes. roaring away. But um, um, probably won't be able to do that anymore. No. But um, and we're here in China, for instance. Um, I mean, there's some phenomenal amount of two-wheeled um, electric vehicles there. Yes. What, 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 what? How do you see this evolving in Australia and and, and worldwide? Um, certainly not with autonomous um, uh, motorcycles. That's for sure. I'd... <laughs> Um, I, didn't, I hadn't actually thought of that. Yeah, yes. it's actually no, quite um, interesting. Bad idea, probably. No, yeah, it's, is it possible? It's, I don't think it's a good idea. I, I, no. I think that it's kind of interesting, though, because with, with more autonomous vehicles coming on the road, which I'm a big believer in, people will want the freedom, and I think the uptake of two-wheel machines will actually grow. Oh, isn't so, that interesting? Yeah, I, I kind yes, of... Yes, because people will want to be in control. In control themselves, yeah. So it's quite interesting. Um, in terms of the, um, the market... Um, I mean, within Australia, without government support, um, really seeing a huge increase in um, electric um, two-wheelers. I don't really see it in the foreseeable future. I think it will just keep um, growing um, at a sort of organic um, rate. Right. Um, and why is that? Is that because because if, if the costs are not that much different in the and the sort of the cost, you know over the life cycle of the um, of the purchase, it works. Is it because of the lack of infrastructure mm, and um, and things? Not, or? not so much. Look, the cost is if you're buying a quality product like a 
a Vespa, it's comparable, but there's a lot of bikes out on the road that are designed to, you know, enter the market at $2,000 and then next year you pay $800 or $900 servicing it. So um, there's... Like cheap fridges and uh, things like that. Yeah, exactly right. So I think that that's a bit of a, and not huge, but that's a bit of an inhibitor. But the, on the other side is going back to, you know, having um, government incentive or tax breaks is if you look um, a, across like globally at where the biggest uptake of EVs has been. It's in the countries that have really supported that. Um, and that, that gets people's attention. People want to feel, you you don't want to feel like you're being penalised. Um, in New South Wales, we're not penalised. We go into um, a lower um, equivalent of CC category. In one other state, we actually, initially we were um, considered to be a, uh, zero CC, so we had free registration temporarily, and then they oh, decided okay. they couldn't rate um, the Fonzarelli performance, so they moved us up into the second highest performance category. You know, comparable to a sports bike. So what? Yeah. So those sorts of challenges do impact um, market share because people don't want to be penalised for, even though people do have great intentions and do want to make the switch, they don't want to be penalised. Um, uh, overseas, I. I can see like the the moped market in those 50 cc's is now huge in Europe. Um, mm. I would love to see in Australia that we would have a more of a share economy like it has been picked up very big in Germany, France. Um, uh, again, probably working between the community and and government right. to make that happen. Yeah, that comes more of a sort of community attitude, though, doesn't it? it I suppose, does, but yeah. with some facilitation from the government, I guess, and, um, and 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 the political vision would also help, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Mm. So, have you got any plans to sort of um, manufacture and export overseas? Yeah. So, um, at the moment, we've had we've had quite a lot of interest from Europe. At the moment, we've had we've had quite a lot of interest from Europe, um, and much in the European market because. Um, multiple countries, a lot of work involved with like intellectual property, etc. Um, we also have recently had a bit of interest from the States and um, I'm just at the moment with we're just dipping our toe in and having a look at the US. We yeah, the interest is quite strong there. And again they they're more focused towards a bit more performance. So our product works better in that kind of market. So right. um, if we did that we'd probably look at um, assembling parts of the bike at doing the final assembly in the States. Right. And currently right now you're getting the basic parts man manufactured overseas, but doing the final assembly in Australia. Is that right? Yeah. So we do a combination. Um, the parts are coming from various places in Asia and Australia. Um, oh, okay. The premium product is um, manufactured in Australia and our entry products are manufactured in Asia. And then we have the battery packs. Um, we're using Panasonic cells with our battery management system. Um, yeah, so it's a bit of a bit of a hybrid. Oh, okay, um, so so a fair, a fair bit's happening in Australia. Then that's a, that's fantastic. Yeah, we're trying to move more and more to um, build in Australia, and of course, it has to be make commercial sense as well. Um, but yeah, it's sort of it's it's our dream, it's our goal, and and our Redfern facility is just like a bubbling pot of activity, building bikes and <laughs> all sorts of R&D and stuff going on in there. So, How many people have you got working there? Uh, we've got eight people working out of Redfern. 
So we've uh-huh, got um, fantastic. yeah, we've got four people um, building and and um, and then we have um, people that come in and out doing R and D with us, consultants and that that sort of thing, um, and then a few in the sales team. What is your vision of the future of transport in general? I mean, road transport. Do you see it going electric as quickly as some of the futurists like Tony Sieber, who sort of say by, you know, 2030, you probably won't own your own car or, you know, at least in big cities because everything will be electric and a lot of it will be anonymous, anonymous, autonomous. Yeah. And there'll be, you know, shared vehicles and things like that. Um, How quickly do you see this happening? Yeah, look, I tend to agree. I am... I'm, I guess I'm a bit of a futurist and I I think with the work that's going on globally with um, autonomous vehicles, it's just around the corner before it can be really rolled out on a large scale. I think you're going to see the same sort of things as what you've just seen in the general uptake of electric vehicles, where you'll have the countries where the government is really pushing initiatives um, and those countries I, I can see having or you know, complete cities with autonomous vehicles by 2030. Uh, and and then there'll be the, the other places that will lag behind. So, yes. yeah, it's definitely, the potential inter- is definitely there. Yeah, I can see that happening in cities, um, definitely because of all the transport issues, um, all the parking issues and um, congestion issues and things like that. Obviously a bit slower in regional areas and things like that. But um, it's interesting with this autonomous um, driving, I think it's probably going to be driven um, as much by insurers and other factors as it will be by the actual technology itself, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, really interesting. Well, fantastic. Um, by the way, how's the um the electric bus business going? Yeah. Um. Well, they basically. Um. So BCI, which is um my my dad's company, um, they now build um electric buses with. They've got partners in um the Netherlands, the UK, building hybrid buses. Um, New Zealand. Uh. I don't know, there's probably about five OEM companies that they're working alongside um, building with different technologies and um, and BCI themselves decided to focus more on the vessel, um, which has been great because as the new technologies evolve, um, they're working alongside these other manufacturers to put them into an awesome um, vehicle. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, and it's definitely growing. Oh, that's fantastic. So we might have lost Holden and Valiant and Falcon and things like that, but we've actually got this little sort of, this hub of activity happening in electric vehicles, sort of buses and trucks and um, and motorbikes. It's fantastic. And uh, hopefully maybe even some cars. Yeah, hopefully. Definitely. Yeah. Well, Michelle, um, thank you very much um, for joining the Driven Podcast today. Look, it's um, it's been fantastic talking to you and fascinating to hear about um your company and your ambitions and uh, congratulations on what you've achieved so far and uh, good luck in the future. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Great to talk to you. Fantastic. And look, um, before we go, just like to thank our sponsor for this podcast, Zero Mo. Uh, please check them out if you want to have a go or borrow um, other forms of electric vehicles, particularly the ones that you might use in your farm and um, in the garden. And um, we'll be back again in a week or two's time with another interview. Thanks for listening and bye for now. The Driven Podcast was brought to you by ZeroMo, the non-profit initiative that supports battery electric alternatives for lawn and gardening maintenance. ZeroMo helps transition to cleaner and quieter garden power tools and electric vehicles powered by 100% renewable energy. Visit zeromo.com.au and find out how you can make the switch to zero emission, petrol-free lawn and garden maintenance.